Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. Today, I continue my conversation with maternal mental health expert, Amy Rose White, a licensed clinical social worker specializing in postpartum counseling for women and couples. Amy Rose is the founder and director of Postpartum Support International Utah, a collaboration with the goal of improving resources, support, and education for women and families during pregnancy and following childbirth. Today in part two, we discuss the importance of not hiding our emotional health needs from our children. And stay tuned to the end to hear the exciting resources that PSI Utah is in the progress of getting up and running. And even if you don't live in Utah, these are resources you can ask to be made available in your own community. This is how change happens across our nation. And at the end of the interview, you can get information for how to register for and attend the Approaching Perinatal Mood and Anxiety Conference, co-sponsored by PSI Utah and Intermountain Healthcare, coming up this May 31st and June 1st at LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City. All of this today on episode 17, as we continue our conversation about postpartum depression with Amy Rose White. Hi friends, now you know I don't love the name postpartum depression, and my guest today, Amy Rose White, doesn't either. But we'll continue to use the term today, and I use it in my title, because it's what we know, it's what we have, and until we are successful in changing the name to something that more fittingly and accurately describes these postnatal illnesses, we will continue to say postpartum depression just so that we're all on the same page. Did you love part one of this interview? If you haven't listened to episode 16, go back. I am so excited about the collaboration between Postpartum Support International Utah and the American Academy of Pediatrics, and this is what got my sister, who's worked for years as an OB nurse, got her really excited as well, to instigate screening for moms at well baby checkups. Get the baby immunized and get the mom immunized too. Protect mom against postpartum illnesses by education, information, resources, and support. These more frequent checkups carry the message that she is the number one most important person in that baby's life and that the best thing she can do for that baby is to take care of her own health. And maybe it's fathers taking the baby to well visits, so let's screen the fathers too. There is a percentage of fathers who experience postnatal health complications. Whoever is caring for a baby can be at risk for health complications for so many reasons, a few of which are the worries that come from caring for a miniature human being, isolation from social activities, and that all-too-real sleep deprivation. I love this recommendation for pediatricians to check up on mom at the same time they're checking up on baby. I think this initiative is revolutionary and it's relatively simple. It's my favorite kind of social change. Simple effort with big positive results. Amy Rose brought up so many excellent points in the first part of the interview. That's probably the initiative that got me the most excited. Today we're picking up talking about the importance of setting the example for our own children of taking care of our needs and not hiding emotional health issues. I loved how Amy Rose mentioned that our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, they powered through, they muscled through, largely because they had no other choice. A lot of them died during or shortly after childbirth. A lot of women didn't live past age 40, past age 50. Today, we have an opportunity to rally a new type of courage and bravery, a courage to fight for our health, to use our muscle working to feel good. 
It's kind of a magical meeting between confidence and humility, between selfishness and selflessness, to recognize that the best gift we have to offer is our best self. I'm so happy today to present the final part of this conversation with Amy Rose White, discussing real tools and real ways to fight for the best help possible for mothers and families during and following childbirth. Here is part two, conversations with Amy Rose White on postpartum depression. And to your earlier point about stigma, if we can say to our daughters and our sons, I'm, I'm not well, and I'm going to yes. go get help. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to keep trying. And and frankly, it's not easy often to find the right treatment team. And so to tell yourself and your partner and your family and your children, we're just going to keep opening doors. A door opens, we walk through it. A door opens, we walk through it. We're going to keep opening doors until I feel well again. Yes. We're both moms of boys. Yes. We have teenage boys. And it's such a good point that, you know, when I feel like I have to hide my needs... I, I consciously have to remind myself, when my sons grow up and get married, I want them to know that their wives need rest, to expect that, that mm-hmm. self-care is a very mm-hmm. normal part so that they're used to seeing that and mm-hmm. that I don't hide that mm-hmm. from, from my boys. Yeah, that's such a good point, and that they can contribute. Even now, yes. they can say, I mean, my boys know when I come home from work and I'm a single parent, I say... It's mommy time, and they just want to download. So I listen to 10 minutes of download, and then they say, okay, I'm going to go downstairs. I'll be back in 10 minutes. When they were little, I called it mommy time. Now they just know I'm coming back in 10 minutes. I need to change my work clothes. I need to lay down on the bed, take some deep breaths, flash some water on my face, and just decompress from seeing eight or nine clients and then and then I'm available for them and they just know that's my self-care comes and so my expectation is that they actually contribute as community members now so that when they do have partners that maybe they decide to have children they take that responsibility on also because especially the millennials I mean these women and our generation as well it's like we do it all we have you know the whole thing of you can have it all but not at the same time women really fight that yes and sometimes we need our partners to say I am taking this burden from you yes 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 the up-and-coming mothers are such high achievers and have so many more options than their predecessors ever have before and it's almost a burden of options the pressure is high it really is so I want to now have you address what you would say to partners, what you would say to expecting, especially expecting fathers. Yeah. One of the videos that has been made about postpartum depression or films, I should say, is called Dark Side of the Full Moon. And one of the husbands in there says, oh, people always say, you know, uh, what was the hardest thing about parenting and how to do as a dad? And he says, and I wouldn't say to forget about dads because 10% of them will also develop postnatal depression. Um, but he says, watch your wife. Keep your eyes on your wife and uh, or partner. And that, that's the thing, is to know that if your wife does not seem like herself, she's probably not herself, and to ask. To focus on sleep and getting her that four to six hour stretch if you can. If you're also a person who's sensitive to sleep deprivation, see what you can do if you can take turns or get an out-of-state family member to help you, um, or even pay for postpartum doula care or night nursing. Um, if you have a partner who has a history of depression or a history of, for example, this is a, a large risk factor, sensitivity to hormone changes. For example, a woman who's tried three to five birth control pills before giving up because they all made her feel, quote, quote crazy or she has severe PMS or premenstrual dysphoric disorder that is a woman who's going to have a mood or anxiety disorder 
Okay. Like having a baby. That excellent warning signs to watch for. Yeah, okay. I can relate to a lot of that, but had never heard that before. Education is powerful. It is. And so rather than be like, oh no, we're going to have a terrible postpartum time, take it as information that anti-inflammatory measures like sleep, like fish oils, like grounding or earthing, which means putting your feet on the ground for 30 to 60 minutes a day. These are all anti-inflammatory approaches, you know, focusing on nutrition and continuing that good food-based prenatal vitamin, drinking two big pitchers of water a day, and having someone to talk to on a regular basis and getting a break from baby care every day. Um, It was an OB when my children were preschoolers who said to me, you need an hour a day to yourself. And like you said, you wish you'd gotten a prescription for sleep. She wrote me a prescription for that. It changed my life. I had never had a medical provider say, A, you matter, and you have to nourish yourself and take a break. Like you're not just a feeding machine. And I was a stay-at-home mom for five or six years when they were little. Um, This is important for you as a human being to take that time. So if if dads can realize that that is a preventative measure and all those other things I I mentioned can go a long way to prevent and intervene for anxiety, depression, whatever we want to call it, emotional health changes, um, that is huge. Having a, a man also support himself and take care of himself and look out for his own warning signs, um, which is typically anger or withdrawal, and reach out to a counselor, which is not a guy thing to do. The language centers of men are very different than the language centers of women, and men tend to need time alone to decompress. If you have a partner who has one of these illnesses, then your risk for developing them also increases. And sometimes I see, actually not sometimes, often I'll see once a woman is in remission and recovered, then her male partner gets all of these symptoms. Because he's kind of held the fort going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, so get noticing what um, your partner's going through and, and often making that call with her or for her and going with her and saying, I love you enough that I want to help you get help. And we're going to figure this out together. There's nothing wrong with you. I, I have worked on a number of occasions with people who have divorced or split up during the postpartum period because their husband thinks, well, I don't know what happened, but this is not the person I fell in love with. I don't see this ever getting better. And a lot of women aren't ready to seek help. So if their primary symptoms are anger and irritability, it will seem like she has turned into someone that is much harder to be around and more difficult to love. And it's a very sad thing, but sometimes relationships do end because of untreated postpartum depression. It, and it's very trying on the relationship. Extremely. Extremely trying. And that's why you do a lot of couples that counseling through this whole process. And it's a good point that you bring up that the woman may not be ready to get help or the husband might not be ready to get help. And for us, that was true. My husband thought I was crazy to not take the antidepressant. You know, why wouldn't I just take the medication if it would make me better? And I wasn't ready to. For me, my journey probably took the longer, harder way around. But I do want to talk to the point of what good can come from these journeys, from these illnesses, what what you've seen in your experience. I know I've interviewed many women for the Video of Light Project with the Emily Effect, and every one of them has said that they wouldn't go back and trade it, although it was the darkest time of their life and such a struggle that they're grateful for what they've learned and who they've become in the process. Absolutely. And I've heard the same thing from the hundreds of women that I have worked with as well. And clearly that's been my own personal journey. Also, a sense of empathy, deeper empathy and compassion for human beings in general is the number one thing that I hear from really anyone, but particularly postpartum moms. And less judgment of other women, 
of other moms, just a real sense of connection to the very kind of universal experience we have around our entire planet of moms who have these enormous physical body changes, body image changes. We all, every mother probably in every country worries about is her baby eating enough and gaining enough weight um, and will they get the education they need you know we have a very common thread as human beings that I think suffering and crises helps bring to the forefront uh, for those of us who are who survive it and then it often drives as is certainly the case for me a sense of purpose and a calling if you will to connect with other moms and help women and families know they are not alone they are not to blame and with help they will be well which is the message of postpartum support international so that's what i see is really it's like a deeper sense of strength uh, a connection to the human spirit and moms and motherhood and a sense of that we have more in common than we have different and then a desire to contribute and give back so there is good news there is a lot of good that can come through this growth journey I think that becoming parents in general is like the epitome of the refiner's fire. Becoming a father, becoming a mother, raising children forces you to become less selfish, to think about another human's needs before your own. Mm -hmm. You are instantly integrated into the world of babies and preschool and school. And so you have this vested interest in community, Mm -hmm. in safety, in what the world is becoming. And so that process is really beneficial for our community. So it's not such a thing to be afraid of going through the ups and downs of parenting and the emotional roller coasters that come with it. Absolutely. And one thing I would add to that, a lot of our role models as women were very stoic, strong moms who did put their needs aside. Postpartum depression or anxiety or any other emotional health condition forces us to unlearn that conditioning. And certainly our mothers and grandmothers did the very best they could and and frankly had to. But we are entering a different era where we now, through our recovery, get to model you know what, I do matter, and I come first, and that allows me to pour the pitcher and feed the flowers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is not being selfish. It's being self-full. And if I am strong and centered, then I can be there in service for my children, for my family, for the planet. Wow, such an empowering thought to remember that because it's a struggle doesn't mean that it's bad because it may be breaking down age-old beliefs and habits that we will be better served doing without. I would like to know from you if your Utah Maternal Mental Health Collaborative could wave your magic wand and there would be five changes that you think would have the greatest impact on maternal mental health. Well, that's a hard one for me to answer because we're doing some exciting things that I feel yes, talk, I feel are almost yes, like magic talk wand about things. Those also. <laughs> well, for one, I would want every single woman to have information about risk and what these symptoms actually look like of all the common emotional health concerns. And to know to look out for them, and if she has them, let somebody know right away and there's there's a plan and a solution and that it, it is in the best interest of the health of her baby and her family to take care of that as soon as possible so she'd know what to look for and she'd know where to go prevention yes, yes exactly 
so part of that prevention is starting to do things while she's feeling well or like herself. And some women feel better during pregnancy. Some people feel worse during pregnancy. Some people have a really hard first trimester and then emotionally they feel better at the end. More common is that women feel most not like themselves towards the third trimester. We know that in the vast majority of cases of postpartum emotional health issues, symptoms actually started in pregnancy. So to be aware during pregnancy is very important. I would have every person that serves and comes into contact with a pregnant woman to be educating and screening her because just the conversation says you matter your emotional health matters and I want to be involved in you feeling well I know for me I was told because I'd marked on the questionnaire when I was pregnant with my first child that I was at risk for postpartum depression because I had a history of depression and that was the end of the conversation. So part of my magic wand would be that women aren't just given risk information, but also, you know, what to do and are given hope because it's pretty scary to just cross your fingers for nine months and also not even know what to look for. Exactly. To know specifically the gamut of symptoms. Yes. And then where to go. So I want everyone to know about Postpartum Support International, which is postpartum.net. And you can click on any country, or not any, but most countries and, and any state in the nation and get free social support um, from a mom who's been there. That's a resource I wish every single mom knew about. And we have Spanish-speaking support, lesbian and gay parent support, and military mom support on that website. And this is postpartum. postpartum.net. And PSIUtah.org is our local postpartum support international chapter here. And we have a list of eight or nine volunteer moms who have also been there and you can just call our local numbers and we'll text you or we'll email or call you back and get you in connection to local resources. I wish they knew that. Probably more than anything, I wish that I could wave a magic wand and women wouldn't feel ashamed. Mm, to end the shame. And I think that is changeable. I do too. I, re- I really do. Yeah. I, I think th- the education and understanding that it isn't a character weakness, that there are physiological changes happening in the body there and that those physiological changes really do impact thoughts and emotions. Yeah, and the work of the Emily Effect and all the other moms that are speaking out on our Facebook and Instagram page and telling their stories and going to the Capitol as we're to toot the horn of some of the achievements that we have, maybe just passing appropriations approval, which is a decent chunk of money for three years to fund tele-mental health projects for women in rural communities to increase increase uh, public health authority's ability to screen, detect, and refer women, and also supports our resource referral database online. Um, New website we'll be creating through the Department of Health that our website will link to, so you can click on a geomap in your county and find the counselors and support groups that take your insurance and are closest to you. Those are achievements that PSI Utah has recently made. We have Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month was in February. Today starts Mental Health Awareness Month for the state of Utah. Just to continue the dialogue around programs that need funding and increasing the capacity. This is something that we also do through something called the Utah Women and Newborn Quality Improvement Collaborative through the Department of Health. The subcommittee for maternal mental health came out of PSI Utah, and now we're working on better educating clinics and providers on how to do this, how to screen because they don't know. You know, medical schools do not teach perinatal mental health. Social work schools do not teach it. I was going to ask that because it does seem like the doctors are the face-to-face contact. You know, you're wanting to get down to every woman in every rural town. They Other than home know. births, it's it's the doctors. That's so. right. Primary care is where that subcommittee is, is focused on improving quality 
measures and outcomes. So there's a lot of a lot of watch guards hard at work. Yes. Here. Yeah. Progress <laughs> is being made, but it's slow. It's slow, slowly but surely. Okay. You brought up two really important things. One, insurance. Does it cover counseling? What would you change about insurance coverage for? Oh boy. <laughs> that's, yes. a, that's a big can of worms. <laughs> insurance coverage is legally mandated to cover mental health. Unfortunately for medic moms on Medicaid at 60 days postpartum, although I believe our new Medicare Act extended that for a large majority, or maybe it extended the population of moms eligible for Medicaid. Typically women lose their insurance coverage who are on Medicaid at 60 days postpartum, so baby continues coverage, but now 60 days, right when we tend to see women start to really struggle, exactly. they lose their access, so that's a huge problem that we're trying to get our legislators to really understand impacts the health of our society. And here. it is such a problem because because when funds are tight, the mother will not spend the money for herself. That's right. That's right. Everything will come before her, her own well-being. And that's the other magic wand item I would add as, you know, part of ending stigma and shame is helping women realize that she's actually not doing anyone favors when they take the mentality. Obviously, formula needs to be bought and women will make financial sacrifices, obviously get their basic needs met for their children. And I can understand that. But the emotional wellness of the mom is far more important than we ever realized. Untreated uh, anxiety and depression has terrible consequences for preterm birth, cesarean section rates, the health of the infant, the APGAR scores of the baby. I mean, these are things I wish women knew that if you muscle through pain, if you muscle through anxiety and depression during your pregnancy or after, it actually negatively severely impacts its child's development. And it's interesting, I don't have scientific correlation, but we're seeing such an increase in autoimmune disease, chronic illnesses in women. And it does seem to be that, you know, women we can muscle through when our babies need us. And then as they get a little older and we've been holding on for so long, then our bodies give out. I would say I see that anecdotally, absolutely. And maybe a, a podcast for another day, there are a variety of different forms of research indicating why that might be. But coming back to your insurance question is, there needs to be coverage for uh, medical providers to get reimbursed for screening. There needs to be specialized maternal mental health or perinatal mental health specialists on each panel that have met certain criteria and training because unfortunately, counseling is certainly not a magic bullet. And if a woman sees a counselor who doesn't have training in maternal mental health, there can be more harm done than good, unfortunately. And that's true for support groups that are popping up all over Utah, which I think are wonderful. Some of them are led by people that don't have any training. And then I hear about it in my office mm. when they get misinformation that might have harmed or misled them. So there's a sort of umbrella education piece that the insurers need. Frankly, counselors tend to not be reimbursed at rates that make it financially stable for them to always be on a lot of different panels. And so there, it's a very complicated question. How do we improve the insurance system? But if insurance incentivize mental health providers to get that specialized education and they provide incentives for women to follow through on mental health care, then we'll see more people buy in to following through with care. That is another issue. Even if women are identified, they often won't take the referral and make the appointment and go and continue. So, and there, as you probably know, the relationship with a counselor or physician is kind of like finding a marital partner. You know, it's not easy to find a great fit. You have yes. to like them. Isn't it so true? Yeah. A lot of room for progress in yes. those areas. Yes. Quickly, thoughts on the hospital stay. A typical 48-hour hospital stay with mm. my baby. I came home after 24 hours because we were paying cash for the baby. Other countries have much longer hospital stays 
Do you have any thoughts or science behind the length of our hospital stay? Well, the literature isn't jumping to my mind immediately, but it certainly is out there that in, you know, Western countries where we have better support in terms of maternal and paternal paid leave and longer hospital stays where women aren't rushed out, where the stay is also supportive. I would argue that sleep is so unprotected in the United States that a longer hospital stay might not necessarily improve emotional health outcomes, Mm -hmm. although it gives us a little more eyes on the mom, particularly for moms at risk for bipolar disorders, because we typically see that in the first 72 hours. Mm-hmm. We now know that postpartum psychosis is actually a manic phase of bipolar one or two, and that's a high-risk scenario for mom and baby. So I think longer hospital stays could be advantageous if we protect sleep. You're saying hospitals don't protect sleep for mothers. In my experience, no. <laughs> in my experience also, and I was so surprised by that. Why it's are they, bizarre. I just fell asleep. Why are they waking me up? Do they really need my blood pressure at 2.15 a.m.? It's a good question. Uh, I just thought that was just me, my experience. No, 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 no. Okay. No, and having had, uh, you know, my partner and my mother both have surgeries in the last year, uh, I was reminded how little sleep one gets in, the, in hospital, the hospital, regardless of whether you've had a baby. And that's the thing. We don't treat new moms any different. If anything, we're mm-hmm. intervening more with a new mom who needs to sleep more than anyone mm-hmm. than we do another, you know, a surgery patient or someone else who's on a medical floor. And that doesn't really make sense in the case of a healthy woman. Remember the <laughs> healing power of sleep. Yes. Yeah, so when I lecture, and and a quick plug for Postpartum Support International Utah's conference at LDS Hospital, which is co-sponsored by Intermountain at the end of the month, May 31st and June 1st, I always speak to that when I talk to medical professionals. And uh, day one is largely targeted to prescribers and providers in primary care. Look, if you have any say around this and you have a healthy mom, if there's any interruption that can be delayed, do it. Because that is a setup for moms who are high on adrenaline, have got 50 family members all wanting to meet the baby. She has a ton of cortisol and norepinephrine and adrenaline that is naturally there because she just went through a tremendous trauma, physical trauma called birth. And now we have milk coming in within 72 hours. There's just oh, there's a lot of brain dysregulation, hyperactivation of the stress response already happening. So we don't want to add to that if we can. Bravo. I'm so glad you speak to the medical clinicians about that. Thank you enormously. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you for all of your work with PSI Utah, and good luck with the upcoming conference. You are most welcome. It's been my privilege. Thank you so much for entertaining the dialogue. Thank you to Amy Rose White for all of her insight and expertise today. All of the websites and resources that we discussed will be listed in the show notes and on the website. Thank you for listening. Remember to share this interview. Maybe as you were listening, you were thinking of a mother that you know. You were thinking of a son and daughter-in-law or a friend or neighbor, family who is smack in the middle of the emotional roller coaster of having babies and caring for young children. Share on Facebook or Instagram or email the link. These interviews are so chocked full of helpful information for new moms and dads, no matter what degree of postpartum struggles they may be experiencing. This is Malia Warner. Immense thanks to my special guest today, Amy Rose White. I'll meet you back here next week for another great episode of Power Principles, the podcast. Until then, my friends, power on.